Good evening, everybody. My name is Bill Woodcock, and welcome to another edition of Forward Maryland. I'd like to share with you a really good experience I had yesterday, and um, from a political standpoint, it was, uh, first off, quite fun, uh, quite interesting, uh, quite enlightening, and uh, I have to say I observed and learned a great deal. And I was very happy to be proud of this. I'm glad I took the time to make myself become part of this. And uh, I'm really looking forward, no pun intended, uh, to the uh, next several years, both nationally and certainly in the state of Maryland. So I went yesterday to the swearing-in of the Comptroller for the state of Maryland, Peter Francho. I'm not sure. I mean, I know that the governor was sworn in a couple weeks ago. The legislature's been sworn in. I know our local elected officials have all been sworn in. Uh, I'm not sure what is it about the state comptroller that they need to be sworn in at the end of January, but apparently they do. Uh, and so this was the case. And um, if you're not familiar with uh, Comptroller Francho or uh, his office, uh, he has an amazing staff. Uh, very dedicated, very hardworking, very detail-oriented, and they get all the details right. And yesterday was no exception. Uh, the swearing-in happened at uh, the University of Baltimore in the Student Center on the fifth floor. And... Um, there's a nice theater there, and I had never been into the uh, student center at UB since, frankly, since the building was built. I was very impressed by it. I think it's a wonderful facility, and it's a nice little theater. Uh, it was a nice venue for this event. There were there were several hundred people there. Um, what impressed me upon arriving... Um, was not the professionalism of the staff and the spread of food and how attentive people were. I mean, I, I kind of expected all of that. What impressed me was the diversity of people who were attending this ceremony. And by diversity, I mean in every possible way. Uh, certainly it was gender diverse, uh, racially diverse, uh, it was also very diverse in terms of um, where people were from. I mean, I, I sat next to a couple from Hagerstown, and I know I saw people there who I know from the Eastern Shore, from Southern Maryland, from Baltimore City, uh, also others from Western Maryland, literally every, every part of the state. And uh, also diversity of thought. Um, there were more than a few Republicans in the crowd, and I know that that is a knock-on Comptroller Francho, that he, uh, he is too close to Governor Hogan and not close enough with the leaders in the state legislature. And, uh, you know, if I have to, um, you know, give a little bit of a critique to the Comptroller, I would, I would probably be in the number who agree that, you know, maybe there's a little bit too... Uh, close of a relationship that he has with the uh, with the governor, um, but I also understand his point of view, uh, which is that you know keeping the state's books and making sure the taxes get collected and people get their tax refunds that doesn't necessarily know a Democrat or Republican way to do it, 
and also making sure the taxpayer's money is spent prudently and appropriately uh, and making sure that businesses have an opportunity to grow in the state of Maryland. Um, he, he sees these as, as Maryland issues, and he certainly sees these issues as, as consistent with Democratic and progressive politics. So, um, you know, uh, I, I respect where he's coming from on that, and my God, he's the one who's been elected controller four times. Uh, this last time with over 1.6 million votes, and I wasn't. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, his uh, his way of thinking on this for the for the time being. Uh, so it was a, it was a really interesting ceremony. Um, some observations I think I'll I would like to share. Uh, first off, of course, Governor Hogan was there. Uh, he gave he did the uh, swearing in for the controller. And uh, what was interesting to me was uh, when the controller spoke and gave his remarks, uh, he spoke uh, in some depth about the state of politics in our nation and how we're lucky that the state of our politics, whereas not perfect in Maryland, they're certainly a lot better than what we see nationally. And uh, Governor Hogan kind of did the bite the lower lip and nod thing. Um, you know, I was uh, poo-pooed a couple weeks ago for suggesting that uh, maybe Larry Hogan ought to run for president, but uh, no less authority than the New York Times was reporting last weekend that a number of prominent conservatives, uh, conservative thinkers, conservative commentators, Bill Kristol and others, uh, have been approaching Ho Hogan about, uh, about running for president in the primary. Uh, I, I still think it's a wonderful idea, and frankly, I, I'd love to see a Hogan candidacy. But um, very telling was the governor's body language uh, while uh, while Peter while uh, the controller Francho was uh, was saying these things. Also very impressive, and and uh, the controller's in his late sixties. He's not necessarily what you would call a spring chicken. Uh, but the four people who he had to introduce him uh, were probably all in their 20s to 40s. And I, when I say introduce, I mean they gave remarks talking about their experiences with him and, and um, you know, what uh, his influence has meant to their political careers. Uh, there is a state senator... Uh, Corey McRae from Baltimore City, uh, Delegate Ivy from Prince George's County, uh, Jake Day, the mayor of Salisbury, and Kathleen Cowsey, who's the uh, head of the Baltimore County School Board. Very diverse group. Um, you know, three men, one woman, two people of color, um, Baltimore City, Baltimore County, the Eastern Shore, Prince George's County represented. It really was very... Uh, uh, representative of the crowd that was there. So, um, you know, there's a lot of speculation that uh, Comptroller Franco's likely going to run for governor, or at least that he's possibly going to run for governor. I think he would be foolish not to give the thought some serious consideration. Uh, right now, I think the Democratic field is pretty wide open. Uh, not sure if any of the freshman county executives, Ball, Olszewski, also Brooks, um, 
you know, are, are planning on running. Uh, I, I have the impression that Prince George's County is kind of eager uh, to have another uh, governor in there. And, and I think there may be some uh, kingmakers in Prince George's County who are trying to push their county executive. Um, there are also other candidates. Uh, the former Howard County Executive Ken Ullman. Uh, springs to mind. He's been very successful in the private sector since leaving office, and uh, it would be terrific, uh, at least in this commentator's opinion, uh, if he took the plunge again to run for governor. Um, you know, and, and who knows who else? Uh, there are various state senators and delegates who are mentioned, Bobby Zirkin from Baltimore County, Brooke Learman from Baltimore City, maybe Mary Washington, who's a new senator from Baltimore City, um, and I and I admit I'm getting a Baltimore-centric read uh, right now on my 2022 tea leaves, and so I don't know about who could be over in uh, the D.C. suburbs, uh, a lot of those potential candidates, or elsewhere in Maryland, but uh, I'm sure there are a number of figures but Francho would be head and shoulder above all of them uh, if he, right now, if he were to decide to run. I mean, he would be Joe Biden in, you know, May of 2017 uh, if he were to decide to uh, run for governor. And uh, we will see. These decisions get made earlier than you may think. And my thought is, is that by uh, Democratic convention time in 2020, uh, we will know uh, probably three or four serious candidates for the Democratic gubernatorial nomination. So we'll see what happens there. Other things that impressed me. Uh, the first conversation I had when I uh, went to the swearing-in yesterday was uh, with Dr. Maya Rocky Moore Cummings. Um, speaking of possible candidates for governor, uh, she would be quite a formidable one. And... Uh, um, you know, I, I think that she would appeal to a great many people. In fact, she appealed to me very strongly in, uh, 2018. Uh, Dr. Cummings did an incredible job of taking over the, uh, leadership of the Maryland Democratic Party. And from what I understand, her and her group are doing a, uh, terrific job of organizing and capitalizing on the momentum of the 2018 elections. Um, and I know, you know, and, and when we talked, I mean, she knew that she recognized me. I mean, I'm kind of hard to miss, but, um, you know, she remembered when I met, met her, which was almost a year and a half ago, where, uh, where I was from, um, you know, and she was very emotive, you know, very sympathetic, very good listener, incredible conversationalist. Um, there's a lot of depth to Dr. Cummings. And uh, I think that she would be an incredible public servant and certainly a fabulous candidate for office for uh, whatever, whatever she decides to run for. There is a lot of sincerity there, uh, real sincerity, not the fake sincerity type. And uh, I just remain impressed by her every single day. So uh, I think the state of Maryland's Democratic Party is in good hands with uh, Dr. Cummings and, and her team. 
later that evening, um, I checked out the uh, town hall on CNN with uh, Senator Kamala Harris, or Kamala Harris, I'm sorry for the mispronunciation. Uh, as I mentioned, Senator Harris and right now um, Julian Castro are kind of the two people I'm looking at in terms of supporting uh, for president, um, pending other people who enter the race, looking at possibly Biden, looking at possibly Beto O'Rourke if he gets in. I have not, I didn't hear anything from Senator Harris I didn't expect to hear. I was impressed with how well she did. I thought she did just fine. And uh, there was nothing there about her to change my opinion. But I will say this. Um, I'm interested. I, I have decided after watching that town hall about the two issues that I want to hear people talk about in 2020. One is how are the candidates going to pay for the things they're promising what to do? Um, this administration is spending like the proverbial drunken sailor. Uh, the deficits are historic. Uh, the debt is stifling. And we as a country have to get out of the habit of running up huge huge deficits that wind up being paid for by ever-spiraling upward debt, much of which is secured by foreign interests. I don't know what happens. I don't know if it's possible for the federal government to leverage debt uh, against uh, its own citizens. You know, is it possible for... Um, you know, Americans to have to kind of take interest in some of the debt as kind of a bond that then winds up earning interest. I, I don't know what's possible, but I do know that as Al Gore said almost 20 years ago, borrowing money from the Chinese to pay off the Saudi Arabians, which we're still doing, uh, is not good policy, and it's not good politics, and it's not good for the long-term security of our country. So, you know, I love when people are talking about Medicare for All. I love when we're talking about free tuition. Uh, but I really want to hear details from these candidates about uh, how we're going to pay for it. The other thing I want to hear about is how do we become, once again, the most respected nation in the world. Uh, I want to hear more about, um, you know, after just taking this complete lapse of our senses on the world stage, how do we regain that reputation? Um, you know, I'm not so sure that some of our relationships with our traditional allies are, are going to be okay once uh, a new president comes into power. I have a feeling there's going to be some fence mending. And what does that fence mending look like? I also have the feeling that we're going to have to beef up on some of our uh, competitors, as the president would say, most notably Russia. And so what does that look like? Uh, because certainly Putin is going to test the medal of a new American president. 
who doubtless his government's going to work really hard to try to not get elected in 2020. So, uh, you know, what's the plan there? Um, I think so far a lot of the Democratic candidates are running on domestic issues, and I can't say as I blame them. I can't say as I blame them for running on the fact that Trump is an embarrassment and he's a jerk and the government's doing nothing and he's running this country into the ground and, my God, we need somebody in there. We need an adult who can start to make uh, uh, something out of this mess. I get it. I get it. And I agree with the policy prescriptions. But how are we going to apply them? How are we going to apply that medication? How are we going to make these things work? That's what I want to know a little bit more about. And so far, um, I haven't heard that much about it from any of the candidates. But it's early, and the field is far from settled. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, last, I do want to take a couple seconds to speak of this uh, potential candidacy of Howard Schultz, the... Uh, CEO of Starbucks. Uh, before that, he was the genius who uh, took the uh, NBA out of Seattle and sold the Seattle Supersonics to a guy who moved them to Oklahoma and became the Oklahoma City Thunder. So just as you have Donald Trump to thank for no spring pro football, you have Howard Schultz to thank for no basketball in, in Seattle. So thanks, Howard. Um Howard Schultz should run as a Democrat. If he wants to run for president, I think he could possibly have a lot to bring to the table. I think there's an entire vacuum of thought uh, in the Democratic Party that he could occupy. Uh, but he needs to run as a Democrat. He does not need to take the independent route. Um, I, I agree with something that Joe Biden said today, uh, which was that I don't think that as an independent, I don't think he would have as much of an impact upon the Democratic nominee as people think, because voters are smarter now than they've been before, and they've been through this nonsense uh, with a Ralph Nader or a Ross Perot or even a Jill Stein and voting for their lefty conscience, or in this case, their centrist conscience. I think a lot of Democrats, even moderate Democrats like myself, we're going to vote for the nominee because we need a Democratic president. We need Trump out of office. Um, you know, why Schultz wants to run as an independent, I don't know. Uh, I think it's maybe to get a free pass. Uh, and frankly, I really want my next vote for president to be cast for somebody who has survived uh, a gauntlet, who has survived a process. And, um, you know, I don't think it should just be anointed on anybody. Um, Democrats anointed somebody in 2016. Look how well that worked. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm ready to, uh, strong, uh, exactly consider the uh, candidacy of somebody who's a Democrat, but it's running independent because they're sick and tired of the party system. Party system has a lot of problems. I get it. It does. It definitely does. Uh, but to run outside of it, um, I don't think is, is exactly, uh, you know, I don't think that's exactly uh, a positive either. So, 
Howard, if you're out there, and I'm sure you're out there, but I'm also sure you're probably not listening, but Howard, if by any chance you are, run as a Democrat. So, be that for what it's worth. All right, everybody, I am definitely going to talk Baltimore Transit in the next uh, podcast, uh, but these, these cool issues just keep coming up. And uh, I've been asked by some about uh, getting on to iPad, uh, iPad, yeah, iTunes or Google Play. And those are coming. Need to uh, log in a few more episodes first and then let me uh, play with those platforms and, and get real here. So, uh, but let's get a couple more episodes in. And as it is, thank you right now uh, for your time and for your attention. And I hope you all have a wonderful day, and until next time, see you soon. Good night.